0: Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent creative risks. I'm your host Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books and I take a very analytical approach to art making emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. guest today is Ryan Fitzpatrick Uh, now this interview was recorded a number of years ago when I had just recently edited Ryan's uh, poetry book so I edited a poetry book of his called fortified castles I was really involved in the uh, revision process and editing process for this book all the way from you know just giving him feedback on early drafts he wrote a poem actually Uh, dedicated to me based on some you know ranting i had done about the movie twilight and uh, i think also high school musical movies um and you know i've known each other ryan for a long time uh, and kind of you know we've done a lot of collaborative stuff together uh we co-created the 95 books hashtag so if you're aware of uh, the 95 books reading challenge or you're not aware of it um Either way, you know, you can go to 95books.com, get more information about the whole 95 books reading challenge, which, you know, in a nutshell, uh, challenging you to read 95 books in a single year. And so at 95books.com, I, you know, have a bunch of information about how you might be able to do that. You know, kind of free booklet you can use, Um, you know, give me some tips on how to increase your reading. You don't have to read 95 books in a year, but uh, minimally, you may want to read more. Uh, so uh, if you want to get a hold of that, go to 95books.com. The show notes for this episode are at jonathanball.com slash uh, nine. So if you go there, you can find links to all anything we kind of mention, like uh, books or whatever we talk about. You can find links to Ryan's own book. Um, there's also a video that accompanies this. So if you want to see a kind of a talking head Skype recording video, um there's a few moments where maybe ryan holds something up to the camera so obviously you know i can you know, be able to see that online or if you want just links to different things ryan mentions, there's all sorts of stuff about ryan uh, on my website uh, and so everything is going to be linked from the show notes at jonathanball.com nine again jonathanball.com nine uh, and here is ryan fitzpatrick so thank you, Ryan, for talking to me. Uh, I want to talk to you about fortified castles uh, and the editing process for fortified castles. Yes, the dueling books. Yeah. Um, and the specific reason I thought you would be a good person to talk to about poetry editing is just because you know, because I was an editor for this book, uh, which is the yeah. first time I've officially uh, edited a poetry book for uh, for a press. Um, but before we kind of get into the actual editing process, could you maybe just talk a bit about where the title came from uh, and how the project itself sort of its, itself started for you. Uh,
1: so the, so do you, which one do you want first? Do you want where the project came from or the title?
0: Either one. Uh, Cause I think a lot of people don't understand that the title is a, is a literary reference. Well, or, it's a theory reference. Or a theory reference. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple uh, of reviews that
1: didn't seem to catch that. Well, it's, well, it would require you to have a working knowledge of Julia Kristeva, yeah, uh, which is uh, this uh, chapter in, or it's a chapter or a section, section I think, in Powers of Horror, which I was reading when I first started writing these, uh, called the Fortified Castle, and I remember at a certain point the manuscript was called the Fortified Castle.
0: Um, and I think I told the, you to
1: change that. Uh, no, you I? did. You yeah, did. to Fortified uh, Castles which was snappier. It's a snappier title.
0: Well, it also refers, I think, metaphorically to the poems as fortified castles, as opposed to the book as a fortified castle, which I, yeah. seemed to me more in line with your sort of idea of the social purpose of the poems and of the book.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was pulling from that. I wish I had reread it, because like, I'm about to give some kind of terrible uh, definition. But what I was attracted to in it was the, uh, was the idea that when faced with the abject... Uh, what s- subjects do is they kind of shut themselves off uh, from from the social, from the abject, from from having to deal with it. So it becomes a retreat into the self a bit. Um, so that so I was reading that at the same time that I was doing these kind of these uh, experiments because like books tend to come uh, out of a couple places for me. Either I have like a brilliant idea off the top, and then. Um, And then the whole book centers around the concept, or I kind of work from the ground up, which is very much what this project was, which was kind of working from a set of formal problems. So, and the formal problem was, um, after fake math came out, I noticed there were a handful of poems in there where I was kind of exploring this, like, lyric I that wasn't me. And, and I was, and I was thinking, like, what would happen if I really pushed at that, um, And thinking about, thinking about like, um, so what I, what I did was uh, I started just collecting kind of like diaristic phrases. So like, and those are the titles, like the titles of the poems are kind of vestiges of those original, um, original searches. Because what I did was I took those and at first I just plugged them into Google and I realized the material I was getting was too, too loose so then I started plugging them into Google with quotation marks around, like the, around the whole the whole sentence, which of course searches for instead of searching for each individual word, it searches for the sentence pages where the sentence appears as a whole. And I was happier generally with the search results to that to work with. And then I uh, the first draft was very which the kind of first uh, version of I'm obsessed with it would have come out of that kind of early work were kind of like these direct collages of stuff that stuff from those searches. Sure, sure. That's and kind so, of how it started. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so you started kind of collaging and uh, working on material f- yeah. out of these searches initially, and I remember at one point, if I remember right, you had an actual uh, book draft, um, or at least you had enough poems for a book um, yeah. based on that structure. You know, uh, so a title that is a phrase like "I'm obsessed with it," yeah. uh, that you'd run through a search string, and then you assembled uh, basically th- uh, poems of twelve lines with three quatrains, like three yeah. stanzas of four lines each. Um, and you had about, you know, you had a whole book of that. And then at some point, I remember you brought it, I can't remember if I read that version or not, but I, I remember like at some I point. I think you, so,
1: because I remember, I remember on one on I did. of the, the big organizational principle, because there, there are some poems that went through four drafts, but generally everything went through three drafts, because there are three kind of full manuscripts. So yep. one in 2008, one in i thought it was 2011 but apparently it was 2012 Uh, and then one last year right before the book came out um and that first draft if we can call it that was just basically the stack of poems that i had written with this procedure sure um and i think you had seen that because you made the suggestion at that point uh that maybe maybe the way you should organize this is to just alphabetize them
0: well i just done that with Clockfire. i just alphabetized You were, yeah, you, I remember now you were trying to like think of a way to, um, basically, um, organize the poems like into yeah. something like a book. Cause you, you know, they kind of all looked visually the same. They all sort of yeah. had the same technique. Yeah. Um, so the sense. risk, the
1: risk, yeah, the risk was that, uh, that the poems, it would just be like a hundred pages of whatever of the same poem over and over and over.
0: Yeah. And I don't remember if I said that, like, that's a risk, or if you just decided that at some point. But clearly, at some point, you decided, you know, I need to have this start and end section. Because you end up with, like, three sections in the book. Yeah. Uh, A section at the start um, that is not at all uh, organized in that same way. At least, you know, you don't have the titles that are search procedures. As far as I know, you might still be searching those things, but you don't have, like, an actual I-something phrase. Oh, in the first, yeah.
1: So in the first section of, uh, of the book, uh, 21st Century Monsters, which I'd written completely separate from this. Yeah, the, it wasn't I remember you had the a chapbook of that. Yeah, so it came out as a chapbook that Trisha Eddy and Edmonton put out. Uh, and the intention wasn't, the intention was to, that I wrote that and it was just going to come out as the chapbook and maybe get collected down the line. It wasn't until I wrote the final section, Friendship is Magic, that I realized that I was actually, they were actually working some of the same territory, so the same and, basic
0: structure
1: yeah and it was uh me deciding that I'd like a longer book so I put these bookends on and then as soon as I put the bookends on and sent it to you you went that middle section is all of a sudden way too long
0: yeah well what had happened again so you kind of went from a first draft or well, let's just call it the first draft the first sub- yeah. substantial sh- you know draft that you had where you more let, you had roughly like 90 poems of these like 12 line poems that yeah. have like I'm whatever I i i this i that yeah and then you had this start uh and end section that you yeah. added which were these uh they're basically couplets like a series of longer couplet poems and they had yeah. a very different tone and they weren't as focused with these eye statements or anything uh, along the same lines yeah and you just kind of put that at the start at the end so you had like uh, kind of an, uh, if i remember right it was roughly 120 pages now Probably so you could like have had 30 90 and 30 and in my thing was you you seem like you just could have like put a this book inside a sandwich uh like in like fortified castles like this and it, it seemed really unbalanced to me so it seemed like yeah. uh you know I, I think the thing i had suggested at one point was to kind of minimally kind of bring the middle part down so it was at, you know only a, like the ratio is more like you know 30 60 30
1: no 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 no, or no, no sorry no. what you what you suggested I have, I've got the letter in the other room. Okay, right? well, I thought it was something along uh, those lines. Suge- what you suggested was, uh, what you need to do, what I think you should do, is just cut the middle section in half. Just cut it in okay, half. Okay, yeah. That's right. That so it. it was more like... And I actually think, because you had suggested, I think you had suggested 40 pages, and I, thought I felt I was pushing it at 50 pages.
0: Yeah, something like that. I, I just, but so that it was basically thirty or forty pages shorter than the current draft. Yeah. So anyway, so so that it went. I remember like it was the idea was like so it would would go from like one hundred twenty pages to like eighty pages or something, or like one hundred and thirty to ninety yeah. or something along those lines. Um, and I think I yeah suggested you just hack and slash the middle section and leave the other sections like just in terms before you started really revising. Yeah, and, and I don't know precisely, I can't remember precisely what you did, but you did more or less come closer to the ratio I suggested.
1: Well, we didn't, we didn't talk, I, I don't know if we talked about what I, what no, I did. No,
0: you just kind of like, like, whatever, you just kind of like didn't reply to me, more or less <laughs> like like I don't remember if you said anything but you basically like stopped sending me drafts of it and then like I didn't see it again really until because it
1: took me a long time to get to the next draft
0: but I didn't know if you were like taking my advice or if you just thought my (laughs) advice was stupid and I was being you know a dick to you yeah Uh, and so So, uh, so let me let me explain
1: to you let me explain to you what I did then
0: but that's what I wanted to know like how did you actually what did you do it and how did you decide what poems to cut because when I saw that new draft as we'll talk about a little later like even the poems you left were substantially altered Almost to the point of unrecognizability. Yeah, but what did you actually do then? Like uh, in response to my you know early editorial intervention, I suppose okay. you'd say. Uh,
1: so <laughs> uh, yesterday, because you sent me you sent me the poems you wanted to look at yesterday, and you mm-hmm. had sent me uh, of the I'm obsessed with it. You sent me this 2008 version, which was in Danny Lion.
0: Yeah, I published in yeah. Danny alongside an interview with you.
1: Yeah, uh, and then the 2014 version, which is the version in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't that i it wasn't until i went to look at the draft my edit my the draft that i did edits on which is the middle version that i realized there's a mi- there was a missing link in between those two poems and so but i went to um so the first thing i did cuz i i actually took your advice really seriously cuz i went oh yeah john's john's right this is way this is nuts now but okay. also it it was an opportunity to take the poems that I was then recognizing after not looking at them for a while, recognizing that they were a little um, easy in spots, like that the language was, would drift into abstraction a bit too quickly, and like, so what I did was, uh, and this is like, this is the first time I'd ever done something like this, is I got really analytical with the draft. It was, it was like, what would Jonathan Ball do? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know if this is going to show fine. up on the camera, but uh, this is the page This is the page from the draft, the, my working draft.
0: I'll scan it um, in, show it in and yeah. if it doesn't. So um,
1: if you take a look at that, you'll notice that there's a bunch of highlighter ink on there. So what I did was, I'm going to try to remember my code because I didn't make myself a legend, um, which I should have, but whatever, this will be interesting for future archivists and <laughs> digital humanities scholars. Um so what I did was I kind of I just bought a pack of highlighter pens with four colors, and I went okay. Each one of these colors is going to indicate a different thing that's going on. So anytime I highlighted, and I went through the whole like I think it was 96 pages or however whatever the whole stack was, and I did this. Uh, so yellow was this sentence is really abstract and really boring. Sure. Um, blue was uh, this sentence is abstract but kind of interesting. Like I'm interested in what's going on in it. And then orange, I think I may have only used three of the colors. Orange was, uh, this sentence is concrete and really great. And so what I did that is so I would have this kind of visual indication Hmm. of what I should cut. So rather than kind of making these gut decisions, it was like, oh, this page is filled with like yellow. It's like so abstract and boring. So that was easy cut, right? Sure. I think I I I got rid of 20 pages of the book that way, Hmm. 20 pages of the manuscript. But it also let me see where the kind of like imbalances in the poems were. So uh, this one, like the middle paragraph is, is blue. So it's Hmm. abstract and like kind of interesting, but like not really. But the last paragraph is like, is like bright orange. So it's like, it's clearly like I'm ending strong on that one. Hmm. So what that, what that allowed me to do (coughs) is it allowed me to kind of think about the balance of each of the poems i kind of devised a system as i was editing to account for that the other thing that i did is uh in the margins of each of the poems i just kind of jotted down in pen like kind of vague uh thematics or things that were going on so um that i was spotting in other poems in the in the in the manuscript so uh here i've got like um the the line in the ad, the line in the poem is the song in the ad upset me so much that i cried for days and i've written in pen beside it media sure um which i could have written earlier in the in the poem because there's a line about movies mm-hmm. which is why like i i picked up on that and then all of a sudden i went oh that's something that's happening that's something i could like actually play with um yeah so the so i went through and did that and then I sorted through the manuscript, and I kind of pulled—I pulled fifty. I said, "These are the fifty I'm going to work with," uh, and it was purely based on these kind of like decisions informed by this kind of like analytic uh, work I did on sure. the actual paper pages of the manuscript. Um, and then I, I, when I had those fifty pages, like after I had cut like a good chunk of the manuscript, I sequenced them. Or tried to loosely sequence them around those thematics that I jotted in the margins. Oh, here's, here's five pages that kind of talk about uh, media. Here's like a handful of pages that talk about addiction. Here's a handful of pages that talk about... Uh, I don't know, I'd have to go through and look and see sure. what they were. Uh, so those kind, of, those kind of arrangements informed it. And, and I gave myself permission when I was actually editing it to change it on the fly... Depending on what the needs of the sequence was, sure, that um, makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: a very uh, interesting approach because, because as you say, you're really, um, in a sense, quantifying like what's happening in the poems, which yes. you know, especially in poems, can can be very uh, abstract and, and difficult sometimes to pin down, even for the yeah. writer. I think, especially when you're working with a lot of poems. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting to well, me, this, like it's almost yeah. like a like you know how somebody might study for an exam, you know, with the different highlighters and really trying to just make as concrete as possible that, that otherwise kind of abstract information. So you can just visually, as you say, kind of in this case, just kind of visually at a glance, see like, um, like what the balance of the ratio is. It, it, it's, Cause I noticed like you, you moved a lot of the lines around within the poems and so on. So I'm guessing yeah. like that facilitated that line editing as well.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, the, um, because I set I set up a bunch of rules for myself. Because I'd never worked with because uh, I'd worked with sequences before, but ne- never anything this long. Yeah. Um, and I really I really wanted it to not be here are fifty pages of the same poem over and over. I wanted there to be a kind of arc to the section. Um, and so I was thinking about um, kind of fo- formally thinking about the fifty pages as an arc. And then, but also thinking about um, how to balance sections of the manuscript, because they're like not discrete, but kind of loosely bordered sections. Sure. Um,
0: like you're talking about thematically connected thematic- in that thematically second section.
1: And tonally. So it was like exactly.
0: subsections of the second section, is what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And
1: then within that, to. Find ways to um, organize each of the individual poems to be able to, uh, to account for some of these uh, thematics in different ways on the level of the poem. Hmm. And also to find ways to have the poems bleed into one another, either through repeated syntactic structures or um, uh, repeated images or stuff like that. So trying to find a way to make the piece work holistically but also to kind of do these kind of like like this micro managing of what's going on poem to poem and so that was it took me a few months to kind of work through it i kind of did a cut like two or three a day um hmm. but not every day because um, i think i was reading for was i reading for my exams at that
0: point i think
1: so yeah because um, it was so,
0: 2008 so yeah yeah
1: so sure. um, i feel i feel like a magician revealing his tricks but i'm gonna reveal them anyway um so the big the big thing that helped me realize the kind of a holistic arc was uh, was really putting a clamp down on the pronouns Hmm. Um, so now that I say it all anybody who sees this interview (laughs) is going to notice is this Um, but if you notice like the first I can't remember how many like 15 or 20 pages the only pronoun that appears is I so in between the edits of this specific poem I'm obsessed with it Uh, because it appears really early in the manuscript it's like I think I looked, it was like the fifth, sixth, seventh poem in the sequence. Um, so in, the, in that middle draft, in that 2012 draft, I get really loose with the pronouns. Um, so there's a lot of like lines like, uh, what was the line I was looking at? Uh, you pull strips of copper wire from my face, which is not a line that appears in the first draft, but appears mm-hmm. in the second draft, but it's a direct address to you. Sure. Uh, but because I had made this, because I had put, decided to put this poem in the sequence in the place that I did, um, that line had to change to "I pull copper strips of copper wire from my face."
0: Oh, okay, sure.
1: Which I actually think is like strangely like that shift in pronoun is more interesting. I but I can't identify why. Um, just a cop out answer. But so at a certain at a certain point, like I introduced the you. And then it was I and you, And then at a certain and then I held off introducing the we until a certain point after that. And then right at the end you get appearances of they. So where the book kind of gets ugliest.
0: Just to kinda of look back again, yeah. just at a couple of lines from my obsessed with it. And the one yeah. thing that really struck out st- stuck out to me was how the f- really I'm just embracing culture so you've got this line really I'm just embracing culture which in earlier drafts was the last line yeah Uh, and then you moved it to the start of the last stanza so I'm just curious do you remember like why specifically you might have done that because the other thing that's interesting with I'm obsessed with it is again if you just compare the last draft with the first draft um, almost none of the poem is still there like there's very little that actually remains and and what is there kind of reorganized I like
1: there's, that's between the first and last draft. That's yeah, bits and pieces.
0: So, like, what motivated you to? I guess you kind of answered this already a little bit. Uh, you you probably found a lot of the stuff was too abstract. You do not like the ratio, so you yeah. just excised or reworked those lines. But why did you, why did you actually shift the uh, the last line up in that? matter. Like
1: did you remember what I, the motivator was know, for that? You no, know we had talked about that line cuz you really like that line? Yeah, I liked it as an Except,
0: ending line too.
1: Yeah. I thought it I I ended up cuz I think I kept it stayed at the end of the poem, I think specifically for as long as it did because you said you liked it? Yeah. Uh but when I was doing the final edit, I found it really ponderous. It's like Uh and I thought it worked better as a kind of like almost like a topic sentence to that stanza.
0: Sure yeah i mean i don't know like i, I liked it at the end because it was kind of ponderous and it almost seemed to sum up like the movement of the poem but but i could see like yeah. in a lot of ways you didn't you didn't you didn't you didn't like the poems to end definitely in in that way like it yeah. seemed to me like you weren't really looking for definite endings to the poem and yeah t- t- for them to totally feel like endings like you made yeah. a lot of decisions that uh, you know some of which i liked and some of which i wasn't a big fan of just because it's, it's not my style right like yeah. my style is you know especially in Clockfire, which I, I, the first time I had seen your first draft, I had just come off Clockfire, right yeah. in Clockfire. Um, but, um, I mean, almost every poem in Clockfire, like, turns towards this, <laughs> you know, flip or this ponderous end, which at one point, actually, uh, I felt was becoming too much of a formula. I, I tried to scale it back in the manuscript. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I think that's a nice moment where you, you kind of seeing a, kind of a shift in like, or let's say there's a tension or contrast or conflict there, I guess, between, like, in this case, your editor's uh, style yeah. uh, and pushing and, like, uh, what you, where you kind of want to push it. So I know yeah. that a lot of people that I talk to, especially, um, you know, writers in my um, uh, my creative writing classes, like, they're very concerned with what an editor would do to their work. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm, one thing I'm, maybe is worth kind of so, jumping So am I, here. but
1: probably in the opposite of what what they are. They're probably well, like... are they Are they, like how can I please this, this uh, hypothetical editor?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, or worried that the editor will destroy somehow the thing in them oh, okay. um, that they see as valuable. So, uh, I, I think they see, I, I see a lot of that, like both. So I guess, you know, when you have a kind of editor that has, you know, like I'm not a really pushy editor, but I, well, you know, it's I, think not I like
1: you said, when I sent it to the, this version to you, that it's not like you ever said, um, because this, this is the first time you're asking me this question. The book's been out for Yeah, like, like I um, saw what
0: you were doing and I thought, yeah. well, I don't really like that, but I can see what Ryan's doing. So I yeah. left it alone
1: because there's a yeah. logic
0: to it. But, yeah. you know,
1: I guess... Well, it's th- not like... The, the other thing that's happening in this poem is uh, moving that line opens up uh, another kind of closure to the ending because the opening mm-hmm. line is the song in the ad upset me so much. And then the, the final line is I've been quietly humming the fabric of our lives for days now which I actually yeah. ended up really liking because that's that's a jingle, right? That's a commercial jingle.
0: Yeah. And like an old got commercial
1: like, jingle, but...
0: And you've got, like, the... Now it's, I guess, um, what you might you call a, a mirroring or you're kind of just returning to the same theme. You know, yeah. You literally, like, a musical theme. Yeah. Um, because it kind of gets returned to. Um, so, yeah, like, to me, like... I, it was a thing where like as an editor i saw the logic of it i kind of saw what you were doing yeah I, I kind of liked it in the previous version more but i mean i wasn't going to push on it because it's your book and i think a lot of people don't understand like a good editor at least you know mm-hmm. it, it is facilitating the book yeah that you want to write not yeah. writing the book that they want to write um you know uh, and i think a lot of editors i mean i've never had an ex- a really truly negative experience with an editor personally um and if i did oh. i would just put my foot down uh, yeah. you know and, and well and
1: i i have but i won't yeah. i won't name names but, uh, you know. but like but sometimes people get like my my kind of pet peeve is not when people get pushy because i don't mind it when people get pushy or assertive because they believe something should happen my my issue is usually when you get pushy and don't explain why you're getting pushy. It's. The kind of assumption, but this is the right way to do things.
0: Sure, because
1: there's really no because I could have I could have easily written a different version of this poem that ended with that line that would have been would have worked just as well, just in a different way.
0: Sure, yeah, but you know, um, it's not what you wanted to do. And uh, the other sort of line that I remember, I like there were a couple. I didn't there are a couple of moments in the poems where I was really invasive, <laughs> and uh, like so one example of that is not one of the two poems that I put up like for the comparisons, but so there's a poem yeah. I want to feel free on 44 where the line originally was, I am an American. And I had to change it to just suis un American, which is bad French for I am an American. Uh, and I remember like that,
1: that line that changed, that changed line got, got actually got a laugh in Montreal. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope so because, um, I mean, I didn't, need... let me just talk a little about, the, about why I was suggesting that edit and yeah. Then I want you to talk about why you went along with the edit. Okay. Um, my answer so, is going
1: to be re- much shorter than you. Yours, sure. But.
0: So so I saw, you know, I am an American. And, and the previous line above there is, you know, uh, our deepest kiss happened on the night of Harper's first election victory. Uh, my GPS keeps me on the right track. Uh, I am an American. That was sort of more or less the f- earlier draft. I can't remember precisely because yeah. I'm reading from the book, but it no, was I am uh, an American. Uh, that's. So I looked at it and thought, well, you know, Kiss, when Harper's elected, Right Track, you know, now you can easily read that politically, like, you know, the the right is in a conservative uh, ideology. I'm an American, you know well, if you're an American, you might applaud Harper's first election victory. Uh, you know, To me, like it all made sense. But yeah. uh, I didn't like how I'm an American was a, a bland sentence. I felt it was just a bland sentence, and I felt yeah. like it wasn't really doing much, but I thought it made sense. Yeah. And so my fix to it was, well, what if we just kind of complicated it a bit somehow? Yeah. And I was trying to think of different ways to rewrite it. Uh, and then I, th- I couldn't really find one that I thought worked better uh, for the rhythm and for, you know, the amount of syllables there were. And, you know, yeah. like I, I just felt like i an American worked in a lot of ways, but I didn't like it. Uh, and then it just hit on me. Well, if you change it to just sweet un-American, not only do you have, I mean, I don't know French very well. So I suspected it was bad French, although I didn't really know enough French to know. If well, because Amer-
1: American is not like a, the yeah. French word for American.
0: Yeah. And so I suspected it was bad French. Uh, Like, you know, you might find uh, in Canada or America. Uh, I suspected, I liked the fact that and would change to un in my bad French and you would get this un-American, like this un-American, unintentional uh, un-American phrase. You know, you mean to say I am an American, but you might just as easily be saying I am un-American. And I like the kind of uh, the way it convoluted and complicated the line, even though it didn't really um and it kind of changed it into almost a non-meaning uh, sort of line yeah uh, it's, so it's just i, I like how it just kind of like basically left it the same in a lot of ways yeah. but then all at the same time it kind of complicated or uh, made it more convoluted and complex and added this interesting um uh, i almost want to say like international element to it <laughs> uh, in a manner of speaking. Well, um, the,
1: here's here's the reason why. Other than the fact, other than everything you've already said, uh, the reason why I, I I actually really like it is because it reminds me of that JFK speech, uh, Ich bin, where he yeah, says I'm Berliner, and I remember somebody telling me at a certain point that that's actually incorrect, like it should be Ber- Berlinischer. Is
0: yeah. that right? I'm not sure, but I was thinking of that uh, actually as well. Like the, I like the like the idea that you would be trying to explain your identity in another language and you'd be some uh, unintentionally uh making a statement that you felt was wrong yeah Uh, and uh, to me it really played into this larger theme of like your identity is bound up in these political uh statements and these identity statements yeah Uh, and they mean one thing to you and another thing to everyone else um uh, so you so so you were kind of were more kind of leaning on that thematic idea like I was looking at it from a craft yeah. angle initially
1: Yeah. like I
0: just didn't like how the thing sounded and I thought it yeah. made sense but could you know make less sense in, in a way that would be productive Yeah. But then I thought it also made sense thematically like after I kind of came up with a couple of options because at one point uh, we, we were asked by talent books, like do you want to just put the correct French in here, like here it is. And we said no. <laughs> it was no. Like,
1: it was, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which I think they were a little confused about, but
1: there were a few moments where where like they were really like, they were really wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. Like uh like it's like the smoothest editorial process I've ever been involved in. Um but but there were those moments where we do where where you and I would decide on something completely unsyntactical yeah and they would and they would push back we well like, and, no 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 and sometimes
0: <laughs> it was actually really useful like in yeah. abstinence vampires there's that line about uh, you know uh, boys assaulting each other or or you know the immigrant solutions in gta
1: and, oh
0: yeah uh, and i remember the the talent talent books came at us with you know well i don't get why it, you have gta in here like what does this have to do with the greater toronto area <laughs> and of course if if you don't italicize it yeah. um then you know then it grand, it's not grand theft auto it's not yeah. necessarily so, so it was just a, a sort of like simple thing where you end up adding italics and you know just explain yeah. them oh yeah he means grand theft auto and i and i knew that it never occurred to me that gta would mean greater toronto because i've never lived in toronto i never yeah i've never heard that uh, as a, i mean it made sense once they said it but um so you know even like those sort of moments of confusion were sometimes really productive and useful Um, and that's where like the ambiguity wouldn't be productive you know the confusion wouldn't help uh, which is kind of interesting Um, the other sort of shift I suggested that you did go along with um, as opposed to you know a number of the ones you didn't go along with is at the last uh, you had the last two poems of the book in the opposite order and I suggested switching them um, and it's because you had, you had ended the poem, the book with a poem called a Heartwarming Warming Moments. Um, and it begins, My heart, however, overflowed with hope, and it ends with, I promise we will ask. Uh, what happens to a world as it dies? What happens to a system as it dies? I promise we will ask. Which works great as an ending. Yeah. Um, and I suggested you switch it with the previous poem, which at the time was Weepy the Nostalgia, um, which ends with... Uh, it begins count us not among the mournful who wake with the good old days in our bowed mouths and you have this count us not this kind of biblical yeah almost syntax and then at the end you end with it's sort of like a folk revival coming through a loudspeaker speaker even if it barely counts as haunting and i suggested you just put that at the end uh you just basically switch the order of those two poems yeah. if you to so that you would end with haunting and you would have this sort of biblical tone, very different, or this, at least this kind of rhythmic, chant-like, incantatory tone yeah. uh, that's very different from the rest of the
1: book. Um, What's a, and it, it kind of undercuts the kind of hopefulness like by being yeah. a bit more cutting and a bit, a bit more ambiguous at the end.
0: So why did you go along with that? Because it totally changes the tone of the ending. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not a book that you read, you have to read in sequence, of course. Yeah. But it, you know, it it is a major shift, and again, it's a it's a tonal shift that is really consistent with how I write, and less consistent with maybe how you have written in the past. Yeah. I'm just curious to know, like, why you went along with that?
1: It was a tough decision, and I I don't even know if I if I still agree with it. Yeah. Because and I think part of it is like this thing that you just identified is like if you end, depending on which poem you end with, you yeah. rewrite the entire sequence. I think so. Uh, you yeah, know. But. like even though I think I actually think the ending of heartwarming moments is is way less hopeful. Like what it's like.
0: Um, yeah, you're getting the and world dies. the way
1: I've read the way I've read it or the way I read it is like is like what happens to a world as it dies. What happens to a system as it dies? A promise will ask. Yeah. Like it's not it's not it's not like the. The only thing that, like, that you can promise at the end of that is that, like, you can ask about it. Yeah, ask what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, I'll find out. I'll anything. ask that guy how the yeah. the world dies. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, and so I, th- I think what might have gone into my decision is the fact that the end of that, the end of that poem, I think, is actually not very hopeful. But sure. it's kind of ambiguously not hopeful or you, ambiguously hopeful. Like, there was that review that Daniel put up yesterday yeah. where he, where I had this conversation at a reading with him, and I'm like, yeah, I find that entire final sequence just a huge bummer. Uh, and he's like, no, I thought it was really hopeful and sincere. And I'm like... It's not, it's, I kind of see what he's saying. It's not that sincere, man.
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a sincerity to it, which you can yeah. read as hopeful. I think it just gets coded as hopeful, but I don't think yeah. it's yeah, I don't think it is hopeful. Like I think it's yeah. like sincerely not hopeful, <laughs> like like a Cormac McCarthy uh, novel or something. Yeah, but uh, so I think
1: I think that was the reason why I went along with switching them, is it like made that kind of like it made the hopelessness more obvious in a poem that's filled with this kind of like sincerity or feigned sincerity or because mm. i think it's both depending on where which part sure. you're reading so uh,
0: another kind of question i had was yeah. with absence vampires unlike uh, a lot of the other poems that's a poem you rewrote more or less by rearranging the stanzas and by adding stanzas yeah so, like, i counted through it and the second draft the last draft of it added six stanzas which, which are six couplets basically yeah um and it rearranged all the other couplets, except for the last one. The only thing you really kept in the same place, except, uh, is the, um, second one and the 15th one, which is the yeah. ending one. Uh, and I'm just kind of curious, you know, to know about, uh, like, how did you make the decision to like reorganize and to add in things like that? Like, like when you're looking at the poem, in other words, it wasn't a scenario like, well, this line's weak. I'm gonna replace it with something else. It was yeah. really a scenario where you're adding material, yeah, uh, so I guess what was you know in in a poem like that or when you're to, when you're trying to like add stanzas or add material in like that like why why are you doing like that? what what's yeah. what's the lack that you're noticing that you feel you need to bulk up or or does that make sense
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, and I have an actual answer for it oh great perfect um, it's going so, it's going so smooth these don't usually go smooth for you. <laughs> um so uh so this is in the first sequence of the book 21st century monsters which is like which is a sequence right yeah so it's very invested in the kind of in in a kind of seriality but this is like this draft this was actually the first one that i wrote for the sequence and it was before i knew i was going to write a sequence because i wrote this one and then i wrote another one kind of in the same style because i was like oh writing in these couplets is actually really interesting
0: well, I think you wrote it as a joke initially, didn't you? Just because I was yeah, complaining look, about Twilight. Uh, like, yeah. I was just complaining about how there's vampire t shirts everywhere. Like I saw it in a clothing store, and I was, there's a whole vampire t shirt section. And I didn't understand. I guess I didn't understand how
1: popular this thing was. Well, and we had had this conversation because you were like, those aren't real vampires. Yeah. They're not, they're not never, I never was like, vampires. And, was, and then somehow in the conversation, we got to, is it Stephanie Clark? Stephanie Meyer? Meyer? Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Um, how, like, actually, like, one of the things that's going on in the book, apparently, I haven't read it, I watched the, the movie, um, is yeah, you that, like, the movie it's almost like, like, it's almost like that she's stumping for for abstinence?
0: It's like... Yeah, oh, I don't remember, I mean, I haven't read the books, but but there was something about uh, this vampire baby, and it was going to kill her. If I'm, I mean, I might be oh, yeah. totally unconfused, but that was my understanding, and I was complaining about... Uh, I was just complaining about what I understood as, like, this weird moral, like I, I didn't like but how right. vampires become even more Christian <laughs> than they already yeah. were.
1: Yeah. Know. So the t- so the title came out of it, it. It's a reference to the book, but it, it's it's more a reference to this conversation mm-hmm. that you and I are the only people who have access to that conversation. Yeah. Our memories are already fuzzy. <laughs> um, so, like the first draft came. I wrote it as a joke. I think the best kind of poem ideas come out of just jokes and dares. <laughs> sure. Uh, so. Um, so I wrote it as wrote it as a joke so it's got all these kind of like terrifying lines like just kind of playing with this idea of knowing that I was writing it for you like these like monstrosity but always kind of but also like teen culture tween culture um and then the other and then kind of sexual politics so it's and so you get these kind of like super ugly lines in it it's actually the ugliest poem in the book Mm -hmm. really um which is funny because there's moments like in other parts of the book where I kind of feign towards it, and it's right at the beginning where like I just put it out there. Um, so I wrote this, and then I wrote another, however many are in that first sequence, eight.
0: Yeah, I forget. But nine? you wrote a series of them that became the 21st Century Monsters chapter.
1: Yeah, nine. So I wrote I wrote nine of them, and then and then what I did was I shelved that for a month or two. And then I went back to it with the explicit plan to, like, edit them together as a suite. Hmm. Um, So I decided on the sequence or whatever. And because this was the first one I wrote, uh, it was the one that needed the most heavy editing in terms of keeping it in the sequence. Because I didn't know what the rules of the sequence were yet when I wrote this. So... I kept, like, I didn't cut anything. I was shocked that, I'm, when yeah. I looked at this yesterday, I was shocked I didn't cut anything.
0: You, and but, you didn't do a lot uh, of revision. Like, you did a few uh, places where there was some, you know, significant revision, but for the most part, um, yeah, yeah, you so just were I, reordering the, it and structuring and adding material, which I thought
1: was yeah. interesting. Uh, and very stuff different from that I, obsessed the obsessed with that it. I, the stuff that I added was specifically to speak to stuff that was happening in the other poems in the sequence. Okay. So... A line like um, "changing what might indicate an end of the world scenario" is quite important in any new century. Is trying to speak to the kind of like the apocalyptic rhetoric in some of the other poems. Sure. Um, what was the other one? we were tired of the current set of tableaus, Hollywood, Dust Bowl, etc. So we planted trees. Is trying to like play with this kind of like. Uh, I was thinking about it as like a movification of everyday life or of the real world because there's all kinds of plays w- play with like the end of the world but also um, one of the things that was going on when I wrote this sequence um, was that there were tons of like end of the world movies coming out hmm. so those started feeding in like
0: I guess it's 2012 right so 2012 yeah. would have come out and yeah yeah all the mind calendar nonsense
1: yeah but that, that was just starting to happen right like, I think mm. the movie 2012 might have come out when I was writing these. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. So, like, it was a lot of trying to, like, trying to fit it in the, with the rest of the sequence. But also trying to retain, like, the individual character of that first draft.
0: Well, I'm also just kind of looking here at um, this interview that we did at 2008 when you had kind of done the first... You you'd had a first decent draft. Uh, yeah with you know the fortified castles poems at one point you you know you're talking about craft and how uh some strategies i find useful as far as craft goes are things like disallowing certain parts of speech or poetic structures like the idea that you would set yourself procedures and rules to basically prevent you from doing the kind of poems you previously been doing yeah Uh, and 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 setting yourself sort of of restrictions going kind of from project to project yeah Uh, so that you're actually um Basically, the way that you described it to me once is like once you get really good at something, you like will disallow yourself from doing it anymore. Yeah, uh, and, and I thought that was an interesting strategy, and I'm wondering if you still do that, uh, and if you see that as somehow um, uh, like to what degree is that useful in editing, to kind of recognize the strategies and the rules you're using. Like to what degree do you in an editing process feel you need to really attend to those rules, or and what degree do you just feel like now is the time. Where the rules don't matter anymore, uh, and, because I've, and I'm just going to like. Do you still feel bound to those sorts of procedures and rules when you're editing, or just I, when you're
1: generating? Um. Well, first, I, do, I don't ever feel bound to any of them. Sure, but um, but often when I'm editing, like I don't always feel. Bound, like bound to them, like the same rules that I set up when I'm writing might not be the same rules that I set up when I'm editing okay. or re- or rewriting. And I actually think that that kind of shifting, shifting procedure can help can help edit the the pieces. So one of the things that I did uh, in terms of shifting shifting procedure um, for that middle section was. Uh, I had made this conscious decision that the thing that should that should happen in fortified castles is it should get explicitly political towards the end as opposed to this kind of vague like the thing that because the thing I was noticing in the earlier draft was it was kind of like all this personal language and it kind of avoided politics, which I think is powerful, but to make it explicit at the end would rewrite the kind of vagueness of the first half of that sequence. Uh, So one of the things that I started, that I added, and this was halfway through that final edit that I started doing this, is um, I um, started uh, pulling stuff from websites again, which I kind of, in the middle edit I had stopped doing. So the new stuff that I added was like, was often like just me writing, riffing off the stuff that was already there. Okay. Um, But I started going to websites again, and I started collecting... uh, I started connecting, collecting internet comments, and writing them, um, writing them out on the the, the page with the, the highlighting. Uh, I started just writing them out longhand on the page, and I would spend like half an hour to forty five minutes just looking at big stories, and they're usually like horrifying things that were going on. So I remember uh, digging through comments about the solder rape chants. Hmm. I remember digging through comments about. Uh, about George Zimmerman, we're digging through comments about uh, what else? Just whatever just in the span of me editing was happening. Was happening, yeah. And and specifically stuff around um
0: kind of, around kind of happened. race
1: and gender and and the reason why I go to the internet comments is because by going to the internet comments, I could get to the source of this kind of like social defensiveness. Because those are the space; those are kind of the. That's a social space where people go. This article is. I'm. I'm going to say this very politely. This article is bullshit. This writer yeah. doesn't know what, what they're talking about. So my multiply. My fortified and, castle and. Yeah, of language, and, and multiply that language by a thousand, and then you have the stuff that I was reading for like, mm-hmm. for like a month and a half, editing that back half of the book, um, or however long it was. I can't remember. But, uh, but, ju- but just as I was rewriting the poems, threading some of that stuff in um, to kind of to make it more explicitly political and to really lean on the kind of like to kind of put in like almost like invert the book where the first half of that sequence is like really inward looking and then the first half is like almost like looking outside the walls a bit. And that's where the pronouns shifting Start to develop, I guess, too. yeah
0: so, the last so that thing was,
1: I, that's a change in procedure that i used to kind of to shake thing that was actually to shake thing to shake the book out of its funk a bit
0: Well, i can see how that would give it more of um like the feel of a book and yeah. less of the feel and a sequence and, and less so you know here's a bunch of poems which was one of my early objections i felt you just had a bunch of poems and i thought well you can just they're just becoming interchangeable yeah um which is you know they're not bad
1: which is why I could alpha, just alphabetize them.
0: Yeah, which you know I thought was f- perfectly fine. I mean, I'd just done it with a book, but I'd also had done a couple other little things with the structure of that. Yeah, um, and it made more sense for Clockfire because it's like a suite of plays. Like, here's the play book, and here's all the yeah. books, all the different plays, organized alphabetically, so you can find them easily. Um, the last thing I wanted to kind of ask you about editing yeah. this book was, you, know, you started more or less. I mean, when I say started, you had that first real draft in 2008. So where, yeah. whenever you started writing the poems, you know, you're pretty far along in a sense by 2008. You've got a whole draft book. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, got a huge sort of revision or revamping it in 2012. It's coming out in 2014. So you have a span of at least six years, you know, from, if not longer, you know, from when you I was, were,
1: I was I started writing the poems during the tour for Fake Math. Sure, which would have been what? Year so that's s- seven years. Sure, so seven year
0: period um, that you're you know writing and editing and, and and but really like let's say six years of editing because yeah. it's, since you got a book you're it's you know six years till it comes out. Yeah. Um, how do you know when to stop editing? Like <laughs> this is a big problem I think for a lot of people. You know, either they don't edit enough or they edit too much. Uh, yeah. But certainly when you're I think you're kind of like me in this regard where you tend to do a lot of editing. You tend to maybe do more editing than writing. Um, and you tend to take a long time editing, uh, and especially, uh, like the book that I was kind of working on for the same length of time, uh, was this book called the politics of knives. And I really, again, had that kind of extensive process of editing. And then in the, when it was accepted, then I started throwing out half the book and like rewriting new material. And, you know, Uh, I, and I had a kind of extensive editing process with uh, Kevin Connolly at, at Coach yeah. House at that time. Um, and one of the questions, I mean, in that case, you've, I've got a deadline and yeah. the book's going to come that's, out. That's, always,
1: that's the answer for this book is yeah. when you're done editing. When somebody when, takes it away that's from you. When published.
0: There's a great story about uh, Dennis Cooley um, where he, when he was writing Bloody Jack. Of course, you know, he's writing it and writing it and writing it. And, you know, it's this long poem. It's got all this material in it. And he keeps yeah. rewriting it. And apparently at one point, the legend is that at one point, David Arneson walks into his office and goes, that's it, Cooley. You're done. You know, I'm taking the book from you and you're done. And I'm publishing he
1: wasn't, it. He wasn't done because the second edition is revised. Yeah, I know. It's like got like, it's probably as like, I, I haven't, I even I think he actually says that
0: him. in the book. I think he put the Arneson conversation <laughs> into the book at a later point. <laughs> So that's it, coolie, You're done. I'm taking it, and you're done.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, so that's your answer. You know, you're done when somebody basically takes things away from you. But I, I mean, so at some I point, you're approaching a, I, a publisher
1: with it. Yeah, so I, have when, a se- I have a sense of when I'm done a draft. Yeah. It's like usually when you have like a certain amount of pages, and you're and you can't do anything with it anymore.
0: Yeah, sure. You're and you just feel like you're. Any change you make is not making it better or worse. Yeah. Sure. And then you gotta get somebody else to come in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's I, similar but to But I said
1: to you that 2012 draft, like I actually consider it, like it's a completely different book. Yeah,
0: well, with, even, the, sa-
1: with the same name, like I could put that out as, as like an ebook, and yeah. people would like if if this book wouldn't exist, hadn't existed, like the actual book, that the early, that earlier draft could stand as a book, and people would go, oh yeah, this is really interesting for this other set of reasons
0: yeah no yeah i mean it, and it is especially if you look at a poem like i'm obsessed with it i mean yeah the structure is identical uh but and it even has some identical lines but it, but it is a very different poem you know and it has different concerns uh, or some of the same concerns but you know it, it's interesting the evolution of this particular book to me because not yeah. only am i kind of on the inside of it it's sort of seeing it a bit closer yeah but there's all these huge gaps from my perspective, even, you know, uh, where it just suddenly is this new thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and at a certain point, as you say, uh, you know, y- you can't really feel like you're just making another book as opposed
1: yeah. to changing this one. Well, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I ended up doing in that final draft mm-hmm. is I just went, okay, this is the book now. Threw my hands up and went, this is the book now. We're, this is what we're writing completely different even though really it's not it's coming out of the same base sure
0: yeah once you have that structure in place like for me it's about getting structures figured out and and once I have a structure in place I really can um, play around inside the structure a lot without I think fundamentally altering the material Um, uh, like you're altering the material but the book or or that structure is kind of if that structure is strong I feel that that's the main thing, at least for me. And so I, I, like, and that's sort of how I was approaching, you know, encouraging you with this book, you know, like get that structure locked and then, you know, you can screw around with the poems as much as you want. Like once you have the structure in place, you know, you've got it, you've got it made in the shade in a matter of speaking, you know, if you can just kind of get that good structure, you know, you've got like a, a room there now to flex and play and complicate yeah. Like you can do things yeah. like just turn that line into a french line and just add a level of complexity and confusion without yeah. breaking the structure and so you know uh, then it becomes like a game of well where do i at- introduce chaos to this structure yeah. great well thank you very much ryan uh you know that's uh, uh and thanks for letting me post like the earlier drafts of some of these yeah, poems yeah, yeah. because I-, I know some people are really uh, hate that idea
1: which is which is stupid like because people are going to recognize that it's a pro like that it's a process yeah right uh, that it's about it's about going through drafts i really love reading people's dra- drafts
0: oh uh, yeah, it, it, yeah it's great and especially if you know when you get a chance to go into an archive or something you can see people's you know it's when you've never been able to see the drafts and they're not available yeah. publicly it, it's it's really instructive and I, I feel like i learned a lot looking at drafts and whenever it's yeah. possible and so it's, it's, I think it's, you know I think people learn a lot kind of looking at what you're doing there, especially for a kind of poetry that is not um, understood off pop- popularly as being a process, like <laughs> and, and as being edited and revised I think, yeah. um, like there's there's. I think a perception that a lot of this type of work is haphazard uh, when really, you know, oh, that it's drives, not
1: drives me crazy It's like how explain please explain to me how I can haphazardly put a book together over 7 years. Yeah.
0: Well, without would,
1: it being like me saying I spent 7 years and really just like writing it over a week.
0: <laughs> well, uh there you go. I'll testify yeah. that you I it was 7 years at least you know. <laughs> you've done other things during that time but you know yeah. there was a, some huge, you know, shifts in those poems so it's great to see. Well, thanks so much Ryan.
1: Yeah, thanks buddy.
0: All right, have a good day. Yeah, you too. So that was Ryan Fitzpatrick and I discussing uh, the process of editing poetry, specifically editing his poetry book uh, *Fortified Castles*. I really recommend that book, uh, especially you know if you want to read that book and listen to this podcast again. Um, it's really worth you know checking out Ryan's work. Ryan's really an excellent uh, poet, uh, doing some really you know fascinating stuff. His other book *Fake Math*, which I think we mentioned as well, um, is, a, is a really funny, really interesting, really experimental uh, book um go to 95books.com if you want more information on the 95 books challenge that Brian and i co-created uh, and go to jonathanpaul.com slash nine if you want uh links about you know the stuff we discuss and show notes and even just see a video Skype recording if you prefer uh, you know to watch a video rather than listen to this podcast thanks for listening have a great day and keep writing the wrong way